Friends, today, this week, marks the end of our liturgical year. Our year runs from the beginning of Advent, through the season of Epiphany, then the season of Lent, then Easter, and then the season after Pentecost, sometimes called Ordinary Time. And then the year restarts with a new liturgical year with Advent, which is next Sunday already. But the liturgical calendar year ends with a bang, so to speak, a high point, with a special Sunday called the Reign of Christ Sunday. So today is sort of a big day, a mountaintop moment, the celebration of Christ as the true sovereign of the world, triumphant over all earthly powers and authorities. But I guess if I'm honest with you, the reign of Christ Sunday is conceptually a little difficult for me. Not because I don't think it's good to worship God above everything else. I think that's essential. It's more that I just have a tough time with this kingly and sovereign language, usually found in the hymns and the scriptures attached to this reign of Christ Sunday. I've read enough history to know that the lordship of Christ has been used ideologically to promote the supremacy of the institutional Christian church over other religions and cultures and to become a state religion of empires, hence the white blonde Jesus. If the lordship of Christ means Christian supremacy or Christian nationalism, count me out. But when I look at the texts for today that were assigned through the lectionary, I was a little surprised in a good way. Most of the texts assigned for today involved shepherds and sheep. I can work with that. There are three basic images that immediately come to mind when I think of the concepts of shepherds, especially shepherds in the Bible. First, the Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 23, one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture. Many of us can recite it by heart. Depicting God as the one who guides us, the sheep, beside still waters, through the valley of the shadow of death, into the banquet feast, and beyond. The second shepherd image is the shepherds keeping watch over their flocks by night. The occasion of the angelic announcement of the birth of Jesus some of the first to hear the good news of great joy to all people. And we'll be seeing some particularly adorable shepherds gracing this stage in just a few weeks at our Christmas pageant. And finally, Jesus, who calls himself the Good Shepherd. Another blonde Jesus. I don't know about you, but when I hear that phrase, Good Shepherd, I immediately think of those representations depicting Jesus holding a little lamb and smiling. Good shepherd causes me to think of gentleness, tranquility, the kindness of Jesus. And taken by themselves, these three visualizations of shepherds in our scriptures, the Lord is my shepherd, the bewildered shepherds in the field, and the smiling shepherd Jesus, don't automatically square with a triumphant reign of Christ-themed Sunday. 
So I think it's actually helpful this morning to start off by asking the question, what would the symbol of shepherd have meant to the ancient Hebrew people, especially during the time of Ezekiel and the time of Jesus? How might their conception of shepherds differ from ours? For centuries in the ancient Near East, shepherds were in many ways the backbone of society. It's hard to overstate how essential sheep were in the daily religious and economic life of the Hebrew people. From nearly every sacred, sacred text and depiction of Hebrew life that we have, we see how important the keeping of sheep was to these ancient people. Wool for clothing, meat for food, bones for tools and weaponry, fat for fuel, and the preferred, they were the preferred sacrificial animal for religious and legal ceremonies. <clears throat> so just as the bison was to the Native Americans, so central were sheep to the Hebrew people. In many ways, shepherds were the safekeepers, one of the safekeepers of Hebrew culture and society. And for many of the villages and cities outside of Hebrew culture and society of the ancient Near East, and because of their prominent role in daily life, the image of a shepherd also became a powerful symbol, often associated with the top political figurehead of the society, the kings, the queens, the, the emperors, and the pharaohs. We see this in the Hebrew scriptures with the litany of the patriarchs, all of those founding people of the Hebrew faith, all having some experience keeping sheep. Abraham, in Genesis 13, is described as owning and maintaining herds of sheep. Isaac and Jacob are keepers of sheep. Moses is first visited by Yahweh while he's serving as a shepherd in Midian. And David, of course, is chosen as king of Israel among all of his older brothers, despite, and maybe actually because, his only experience leading anything was his father's sheep in the field. But the ancient Hebrews weren't the only or the first civilization to equate shepherding with leadership. In ancient Sumeria, the king wore a shepherd's hat and was often depicted holding a lamb. In Egypt, the pharaoh was usually depicted as holding a shepherd's crook and a flail, both symbols of shepherdly protection and guidance. <clears throat> and that image especially would have been formative for the Hebrew people who were enslaved by the Egyptian shepherd pharaoh for 400 years. <clears throat> so the shepherd king was a powerful image, <clears throat> but it was a very specific type of propaganda. See, unlike some civilizations that understood their national figureheads as remote or unknowable or untouchable, like in ancient China where the emperor lived in the forbidden city, never to be seen, or in Japan where citizens weren't even permitted to glimpse their emperor's face, or even in Rome where the emperor was God incarnate. Civilizations that used, in contrast, that used the concept of shepherd king 
were intentionally trying to send a message from the ruler to those that they ruled. I don't just plan to lead you. I plan to walk among you, to feed you myself, to protect you, to get dirty with you. Your fate is my fate. Your future is my future. So for a ruler to claim to be a shepherd, they were essentially making a covenant to always be near and involved with their people. It wasn't just a symbol, but it was a statement. It was a promise to lead like a shepherd does, which is a familiar image to everybody. It was, uh, to keep the flock together, to prevent the vulnerable or slow sheep from getting pulled away by predators, to keep each of the sheep strong by equally distributing food, and to steer the entire flock through dangerous terrain into safe pasture. It's quite a promise, but a good shepherd is effective at performing those specific skills. A good shepherd does those things. Ezekiel, the prophet, is delivering his oracle from Babylon, where his people have been exiled before, during, and after the devastating conquest of Jerusalem and the destruction of his temple. He pulls no punches as he delivers God's indictment on the fallen nation of Judah. The reason for their demise is simple. Their shepherds failed. They were bad shepherds. They allowed certain sheep to get fat while others starved. They benefited from and participated in the oppression of the weaker sheep. And their sheep were scattered on their watch. And Yahweh speaks through Israel saying, essentially, I've had enough of bad, ineffective shepherds. My sheep mean too much to me to leave this task to greedy and selfish men. We 